It is the 10th of June 2014, and this is the audio podcast, episode 118, This Bin Calms. It is indeed the audio podcast. Show notes are at theaudiopodcast.co.uk slash show slash 118. I'm Samuel Freeman, that was Scott Hewitt, and here's Adam Yanch. Hello, everybody. And, of course, don't forget, you've got a number of ways to digest and consume this podcast of audioness. Uh, let's let's have a think of what they are. I mean, the main one is the, the main one is YouTube. YouTube.com forward slash the audio podcast, where we've got basically videos of a, a good chunk of all of the ones we've done. Uh, but if you're more of an audio podcast type person, you've got iTunes, you've got G Podder, you've got Stitcher. Um, yeah, and then, you know, contact us via Twitter at The Audio Podcast, or you can email us, show at theaudiopodcast.co.uk. Um, yeah, so what's the details of today's show, chaps? Um, today's show notes are looking incredibly full, and so let's get on with the news, then do other, then plunder, and in the news, the first item on the notes is the positive grid of updated jam up. Yep. Uh, positive Grid and updated jam up, uh, which is for iOS. Um, it's it's a major up, up, a major update that includes three new expansions: Vintage Effects, Acoustic Pro, and Guru's Amp. And it it is real. I got the press release. Di- I actually got a press release direct from them to this morning, telling me about it. Though I don't think their website's actually updated to reflect this new arrival. But certainly the iTunes version had taken a version number bump as well. So. Yep. I had a look on um, the, I, the iStore or whatever it is, and there is JamUp XT, which is a stripped-down free app, and then, then there's JamUp Pro XT, which, although it's XT, the old version. Anyway, but there's the Pro version, which is $10. And on the page that you linked to, Scott, in the show notes, there's a video at the top. I don't know, if, like you said, this might change, but I really enjoyed this video. It is metal guitarists playing metal music with drums and three guitars and it's awesome there we go if you go to the show notes you can find the link which will take you to more details sam you put the next item up on the on the news z plane have announced an update to their elastic sdk which is a time stretching pitch shifting algorithm and you can license the sdk to use their algorithms in your software as lots of people have including ableton avid um, IK Multimedia, Sony, Steinberg, loads of things. The list of people using this is extensive. Hmm, well, that's, that's a good plan then. It's a good plan if basically you have to write that into your program. You can just whack this SDK in and probably just feed it some numbers and it's just like, okay, I'm getting on with this. Yes, does, it, does it do on, on offline and real-time does indeed do real-time things, yep, and there's a variety of licenses available um, whether you want to use it commercially or um, as an in-house if you want to develop software that you're going to use within your company but not distribute. There's a different license and there's academic licenses and there's also a server license, depending on how the software you make is going to be delivered and who to. Cool, cool. Very cool. Now, Very- something that uh, we, we haven't done for a while, chaps, is goes with conference. That's true. Uh, details of there is one that there is one that you might go to because it's actually it's not too far from you guys. It's in Preston, UK. What is it for, Scott? It is the Audacity Unconference. 
So it's this coming weekend, Friday the 11th and Saturday the 12th of July. No, it's next month. See, that's the mistake I made. It's, it's not. It's not. It's, it's a whole month away. It's a whole month away. Sorry, yes, it's in July, not June. Ah, that that changes everything. It does. Um, <laughs> sorry. So it's Friday the 11th and Saturday the 12th of July, 2014. Um, we go. If you're interested, there are still tickets available, and it's in Preston. UK. And 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 will do you think you guys might go to it? It's a bit too far for me, and I'm not interested in audacity. So that would be two issues there then, Adam. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm I'm very tempted. This sounds very interesting. It's been organised by some of the developers on the software. So and I've often wondered about, you know, how easy or how accessible it would be to get into the code of this thing. I use it all the time. So. And I often think, oh, if only I could add this feature or change that feature. Well, mo- mostly adding features I keep thinking of. So if I were to attend this unconference, I would be asking about that. But it's, yeah, there's a while away. I think we should, I've only become aware of this today, so I don't know much about it. I'm going to endeavor to find out more and contact the organizers. And maybe we'll speak of it again in the coming weeks. That's that's a great idea, great idea, Sam. I think that's cool. Uh, the 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 great thing of about an unconference and the bad thing about an unconference is that there isn't really a formal agenda, and as a consequence, it can be very it can be very variable in terms of how useful a session may or may not may or may not be. I really enjoy unconferences, but I'm acutely aware that traveling a long distance to attend an unconference is quite a risk. Hmm. And traveling a long distance to attend an unconference about audacity might be an even bigger risk because you just don't know. It could be like, uh, it could be like, well, this is how you could do advanced things with audacity and how you could integrate an audacity workflow into your thing. Or it could be, okay, so uh, audacity 101, this is how you download audacity. And then they'd slowly go through all of the things. I don't think it would be like that. I, I think it would be a bit foolish to put that in a unconference. Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> I just wonder because something like we've been to the Max conference. We went to the the Max one in Leicester uh, two years ago. And yes, you know Max is a giant program and it also has Max for Live, it's got Jitter, I got Jen, it's got all these things. So there's a lot of surface there to actually do a conference on. Audacity, I'm not so sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. I, I, however, I'm saying, having said that, and people might be thinking, oh, well, they're obviously not big supporters of this event. I think that's completely wrong because if you're, if you're kind of just, if you're new to using Audacity or you're just getting started, and you're in the local area, you should definitely go because you're going to be able to meet a group of people who are probably in a very similar sort of position, probably local to you, and that's a great way to build a community of people who will be able to help you and assist you with these kind of things, isn't it? So, you know, I think it's, you know, I think it'd be good. I'm, I'm interested in, att- I'm interested in attending. I'm going to look into the practicalities of it and then hopefully, hopefully be able to go. That'd be, that is my intention at the moment, but we will see how it develops. Sweet. Now what Should I would say. More educational items? Well, what I was going to say was if there was an unconference about, uh, building Moog synthesizers, I'd be much more interested. Well, it wasn't an unconference, Adam, but Moog Fest uh, 2014 did occur, and while they were there, they demonstrated the No Soldiering Required Kit, which gives make, allows you to build a work stat, which was pretty cool. A what? Oh, is that a kind of 
Moog synthesizer. It is a single oscillator um, synthesizer, yep, with some kind of patching mm. between the different parts of it available on it. It's only available in the United States from a list of um, retailers. Yeah. It's kind of funny territory. It's a kit. You have to build it yourself, but there's no soldering involved. Therefore, I guess you're just clipping bits together. But It's a bit like I read about this today. Uh, the uh, Korg have made a version of the MS-20, which is a kit. So it's bigger than the, the mini MS-20, or the MS-20 mini, whatever it's called. Uh, but it's basically, it's build it build it yourself, but actually all the circuit boards are already done, so you, you're basically assembling it more like an IKEA piece of furniture. Uh, but uh, th that reminded me, that's what this uh, Moog thing reminded me of when I read it. it it's interesting how there, there are quite a few projects like, like this, aren't they? Because I know there's a lot of a lot of people are kind of pushing against the, the kind of problem of the integrated circuit in that you just you know, you get something which works fine until it breaks, and then once it's broken, it's basically completely worthless because there's nothing you can, you can't repair it, you can't do anything really with it, other than replace it with bits. But then at the same point, I'm kind of in, amused because while that's a bad situation, the the worst situation was the one that we these kind of things sometimes hark back to, which is to say, here are the bits that you can you can kind of replace them and fix them, but because of the fact they're on separate boards and because of the fact they're generally a lot bigger they're actually much more likely to break. So it's almost like saying, here's the version you could fix, but you almost certainly will have to fix it, as opposed to, here's the version you can't fix, but will probably run for far longer than you're expecting to ever use it. And I think it's it's interesting how we're saying, kind of seeing both sides of that divide at the same time now. I like that. VLSI, very large-scale integration implementation. I can't remember. I, I believe that the first synthesizer to really go that way was the Korg M1 back in the late uh, 80s and that's why it was it sold like 250,000 versions because it was so uh, they could manufacture it so well and it was so reliable but it was fairly cheap for what it was there we go bit of random synthesizer history for you there I like it I like it very much. Yeah. Also, if you're in the United Kingdom and you have a an interest in music education and the provision of music at schools, then uh, the article has an interesting article which talks about some of the funding problems that are kind of being, well, that are occurring in that kind of part of in that sort of study. If you're, um, I suspect the vast majority of our listeners are probably not school-aged children and therefore probably aren't really aware of that. So. If you know, you might be interested. Obviously, it has a you know, it may or may not be of a concern. But I thought it was a well-written article and worth referencing. Hence, I did so. But have you seen the news about the Bitwig uh, community controllers? Uh, yes, this is. Um, they, I, this confused me at first. I thought it's, it, these are software plugins essentially. These are mappings for hardware controllers. So whatever hardware control you may have, you can download the appropriate mapping interface for the software. Is that is that accurate, do you think? Yes, I think so. So, yep, bitwig.com slash community or whatever. No, it's not quite it. Links in the show notes. Um, they've got a whole list of them for well-known controllers and also a bunch of generic MIDI controllers. And the thing, the thing that I caught my eye about this was the fact... Well, it's part of a larger pattern. The link that all of these 
sorry, there's a repository at bitwig.com of all of these mappings, or which they call controllers, and but all of the software itself is hosted at um, GitHub. And yeah, GitHub is becoming more and more embedded in lots of things everywhere. In the same way that Twitter, kind of eight to ten years ago, was you know starting out as this little thing that was kind of slightly nerdy, but then has now grown to this ubiquitous thing. I wonder if GitHub's going on the same trajectory. It's kind of off topic, but no, no that's that's fair enough. So the, the the thing I thought was interesting about this is you're you're right. It is a controller how to it is essentially how to get a control surface to work with Bitwig as a door. But what I thought was really was really interesting is the fact that because Bitwig have a Bitwig Studio has a published controller API for this purpose, they can supply everybody can achieve the same level of deep integration that you would normally only get between the manufacturer's piece of hardware and the manufacturer's piece of software. Whereas here they've made all the information regarding the piece of software publicly available. So everybody can get that same level of deep integration if they want mm. to. And all you need to do is write it. And they're trying to encourage people to say, well, if you're going to write this, you should leave it, you know, put it here. And then, you know, other people could do this. And part of the beauty of say using GitHub for that kind of process is obviously the fact that you could get somebody who's, who's built one. Because in this situation, people inevitably answer their own itch, don't they? It's like, this is what I need my controller to do, and now it does this. Somebody else could get their kind of controller file, make the modifications to it, which now mean it does the thing they want it to do, and now you've got two versions which do two different, two slightly different things. And that's where you know, kind of using communities to do these things becomes incredibly useful, because otherwise you just end up with whatever the one person who was tasked to do it decided it should do, and that is that that is the end of it all sort of style, isn't it? So, mm -hmm. And it's a different, it's a switch around from the normal setup, which is, uh, say, as a as a hardware manufacturer, you create your, your controller to work with the Mackie standard or with the Huey standard or whatever standard they feel like it's important to do. So this is a kind of slightly different version that's also open to the community. That's the important thing, the community side. But the fact that Bitwig has gone with that approach rather than just baking in kind of generic Mackie or Huey support, you know, good thing, good thing. Also, important to note that uh, coming tomorrow, the 11th of June, Bitwig... Uh, will is it that they will be starting education licensing, yep. or that information about it will be released? Uh, no, it becomes available tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Education licensing becomes available tomorrow, but there isn't. I couldn't find any. Oh no, I found a bit of detail. Yeah, so you could you can buy it tomorrow, sort of style. Education licensing, if you wanted to. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Pretty Very awesome. Good. Very good. That's cool. Something else that's kind of awesome, I guess, or, well, if you're interested or not, but Universal Audio are running a sale throughout June. There are savings up to 50% on some of the things they offer and lesser savings on other things. There you go. From they our also... show notes, podcast.co.uk slash show slash 118, you can find the link, and that'll take you to the Universal Audio shop and sales site. Yep, the promotions there's on the same, also running this month until the 30th of June 2014. They are offering, if you buy a one of their Apollo interfaces, so the Apollo Duo, Apollo Quad, or Apollo 16, then you can get a free pre-installed Thunderbolt option card. Amazing. Terms and conditions apply, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's an asterisk after the fact that it's free and pre-installed. Um, I can tell you what that means, blah, blah, blah. 
That's fine. Yeah, it's spelling out why you might want to have a Thunderbolt thing, actually. Yeah. Okay. Well, Thunderbolt. Exactly. <laughs> Thunderbolt, a an interface we've discussed many times and are yet to really, in my mind, establish real clarity is why we'd want it in the audio world. But fortunately, the manufacturers of such devices do not tend to wait for our conviction of these matters and like to go ahead. Adam, I believe you have news of another manufacturer who is also very keen to uh, develop another proprietary interface. Isn't it the same manufacturer? No, it's not, because Thunderbolt is Intel, and this is Apple. So uh, hot on the heels of their buying of Beats headphones, uh, there's been a bit of news about a possible digital headphone standard that Apple have been working on which would allow, basically it works over the lightning port, so it's effectively allowing a pair of headphones to plug directly into an iOS device and transmit sound digitally at rates up to 48K and also allow 48K microphone uh, feed back into the device as well. So make of it as you will. The original report was by 9to5Mac, so you can go to the original uh, report through our own notes you can get there. Uh, the interesting thing here is actually that compatibility for this could go back to iOS 7 as well. So we got um, iOS 8 was of course announced last week. Uh, by the time this comes out I reckon iOS 8 would probably be out but today's iOS 7 devices may be included in this idea. Um, like they're trying to make it seem like 48k is like a oh wow amazing kind of number, but it isn't. That's just slightly better than CD quality, so you know it's fine. But I wouldn't try and sell anything on the fact that it it w works at 48 kilohertz. Well, I, I I have a couple of other I have I have one other well a little question for you as well because you talk about compatibility back to iOS 7, which I understand that. Um, I have a pair of headphones which have a backward compatibility about them as well, actually. This, this, this pair of headphones here <laughs> okay. has, has a solid level of backward compatibility. If I wanted to, I could increase that backward compatibility actually via this modifier here, and I've achieved a, uh, an additional level of backward compatibility. <laughs> In such, this backward compatibility is so, is so um, significant. Those uh, who are watching the video stream will notice I am wearing the giant headphones today, which I thought I would do on purpose because the giant headphones I'm currently wearing on my head are slightly older than me. <laughs> and sports yeah, an incredible Scott, level of backward compatibility. You were going to ask a question and you haven't isn't, asked a question. Isn't that forward compatibility for when they were built? Well, perhaps, perhaps so, yes. Yes, certainly so. I'll give you that, Sam. This is forward compatibility, and this is backward compatibility. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, is your, is your question, um, does the world need a, an iOS-only digital headphone standard? Okay, no, I, I want a slight subtlety. Does the world need a wired, a cabled wired digital iOS headphone standard? And my answer to that is no. We do not require that. We have a great one already. Yeah. And it's brilliant. I mean, uh, I suppose the, the, the question is, are Apple trying to get rid of the headphone port off their devices? And I really hope they're not because it's it's fine. Can't they just leave it there if that's really the reason that, that this exists? But maybe, it, maybe this is never going to happen. And this is just a report they decided to, someone decided to leak or someone's pounced on and they're like, oh, my God. 
gosh, this is going to be amazing. Beats headphones with a lightning connector on the end. And but think, it will never happen. Think how awesome the device could be, though. Imagine this, though. You get a an iPod, an iPhone with inductive charging and Bluetooth streamed audio. That's a cool, like, it, it's it's almost waterproof. Like, that would be waterproof. It would be pretty much indestructible. It could, you know what I mean? It'd be really, you'd be able to make it really skinny if you wanted to. You wouldn't be limited in any way by the practicality of a user of the kind of I.O. interfacing that you require on it. I'm, I'm, I'm completely sold about why that's a good idea. I'm not in any way sold about why I want to get rid of the ven venerable jacks in any way. Mm. Other than to say that this mini, the mini jack is obviously a terrible thing. I'm saying it's not a you know, they break, they're very flimsy, the things you plug them into have a tendency to break quite often, they're not. I mean, yeah, but what we don't need is an iOS-only audio standard. It's just uh, not very helpful unless you have, I mean, no, but even then, is anyone going to, apart from Beats, is anyone going to create a set of really decent headphones that have only a lightning connector on them? No, they're not, because it's just, it's such a niche market someone will do it, someone mad will do it, and but there won't be a wide, like Sennheiser wouldn't do it, they, they just wouldn't yeah. do it. Yeah, and that's very true, especially when you consider, especially with the fact that Apple own Beats as well, because you'd be stupid to, you, well, it would be very risky, if not, I think stupid is probably the right phrase, to manufacture a product like that in competition with the manufacturer of the product, that's a... Mm. Especially when there's no alternative product to go to, that's a bad idea. Uh, the only the, the thing, if it said 96 kilohertz, then I I wouldn't be interested. It wouldn't make me think, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to have these. But that's the number you want. You don't want 48 kilohertz unless it's actually talking about real, like 48 kilohertz in real terms. So that's a, a, that's the same as 96 when you take into account the the filter that you have to put on, but I don't know. I think I, I saw this and I thought, headphones, Apple, let's put it in the show, have a chat about it. Uh, but I, I'm not, I'm not convinced that we'll see anything really about this. Well, you know what the really great thing about expensive headphones is? They allow you to cut out the real-world noise that's around you. But fortunately, Sam has information about how we could actually get some of that real-world sound back. Yeah, so you could have your noise-cancelling headphones on so that you can't hear what's going on, and then listen to the sound of a river that's somewhere else, perhaps. Um, this is Hiss and a Roar have a new ambient sound library released this week, um, which is Rivers and Streams. Yeah, that's it. It's available, $49. There's 6.1 gigabytes of the stuff, and or 8 gigabytes uncompressed, 5.1 stereo wabs. It's good, and if you are wearing headphones, you should watch the first minute or so of the um, Vimeo um, embedded video that advertises it, because there's a nice little comparison of different microphones, which yeah, which I enjoyed. But then there wasn't any more comparisons, so you can stop after one minute, thirty seconds, if that's what you're looking for. And uh, there is actually a special offer on, which is that uh, this is across, I guess, across the Hiss and the Raw library collection that you can buy for the month of June you can buy three libraries and get a fourth free five libraries and get two libraries free or seven libraries and get three libraries free so there you go free stuff awesome um 
I've never noticed the A in the title. I always thought it was Hiss and Raw. Has the A always been there? I've just never noticed it before. I I remember looking up, because I thought it was supposed to be A Hiss and A Raw. And then I looked it up as part of the notes, and it's, yeah, it's Hiss and the Raw, isn't it, Scott? Yep. It's, it's, always, it's always been. I've just never noticed that A before. I always thought it was Hiss and Raw. There you go. Just like that Raw. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we've come to the end of the news, and we have a very interesting other article, a little series actually, that we're going to do over the next three weeks. Yes. I was hoping one of you guys was going to uh, pick up from there, but I can continue if you want. Uh, yes, uh, I think I suggested this a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, we're we're podcasters. We've been doing this for, you know. A few years now, you two more, I came on a bit later, but each of us has our own little set of kit to do this whole thing. We've been, been developing our kit over the, uh, over the months, and I, I suggested that maybe we could do a little, like a rundown of, of how our electronic audio kit works. It's specifically relevant to the audio podcast, really, isn't it? So uh, this week, we're going to start with Mr. Hewitt. Yes, so um, I, I, I have gone first. Um, for those people who maybe only listen to the show or briefly look at the notes, there, there is we are actually going to have, like, there is a proper article on, online that you could take a look at with photos. How about that? So you might be, uh, you know, it might be worth just having a quick look at the show notes just in this in this instance and the corresponding ones in the few weeks to come, if you want to. Um, Adam, Sam, if you feel I've got it, I'm going into too much detail or you think there's a relevant question, just interrupt, but otherwise I'll just, I'll kind of, Spew, for want of a better. But, <laughs> yeah. they say? Do you nice, nice there in my head. Thank you very much. That's cool. So um, the the first thing I would say is that um, we we have been doing this for like over three years and in a variety of different guises as well. And the key, the really important thing is I find is the importance of running two different computers. Um, I have one computer which does the audio work entirely. That's the one that's in the Hangout. It runs um the it runs the Moti sound card. It manages QMix and it does all that all that sort of stuff for me. And I have a second computer which I use to actually have the show notes and all the information regarding the show and the kind of any sort of promotion materials that need to go in. All that sort of stuff is all in a in a second place. And that that means that the the machine that has the Hangout I, once the Hangout or the Skype session's running, I don't actually touch it. It does nothing but sit there and run. And then I stop the broadcast and that's it done. So it it's very reliable. It, that doesn't tend to break it. Whereas quite often, if you go visit a web page or something like that, you get a, a video starts playing or some flash crashes, and you don't want to take down the entire browser session in the middle of the show. So hence, I use the two different two different computers to do that. And I have two nice big screens, <laughs> which means I can sit back and be able to see both screens at the same time, which is quite nice. And I put the camera in the middle, which should give you the impression that I'm talking to you on the video stream quite often. But in reality, most of the time, I'm either looking at Adam and Sam or I'm looking at show notes. But kind of, if I move my eyes, it kind of looks modularly convincing. I says maybe. I don't know if you guys think it does or not. Well, actually, and and Sam and I picked up today on you. You seem to be pointing a slightly different way. You're 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 usually like you used to be in the corner, and now you're like more perpendicular to everything. That is just perception. I'm not sure what is what is leading you. I guess it's maybe this edge in this corner here. Well, I think your camera's in a different place because your camera used to be a bit higher and used to kind of look down on you, and now it's kind of pointing up. Like it's that. it's maybe a little bit, but it isn't particularly so. 
It's I don't know. Anyway, don't let's know. let let's get into the into the audio bits that you've got. It, well, well, that, that's missing. Um, if you look at the picture, you'll see one little one little subtlety which a lot of people maybe don't notice. But I have string. You've probably noticed in the background of the video, I have uh, strings of crisp of like kind of um, rope lights and Christmas LED lights around the place, and they're actually deliberate. Um, the Christmas LED lights go across the back of my my desk and then drop down to the floor and are on the floor at the bottom of my desk. And the reason they're there is that they light up the back of the desk behind all the cabling out the back of all the computers and then on the floor they light up all the cabling that's on the floor as well which means that when I have a problem I don't need to get a light I don't need to get a torch and hold it and point it in the right direction those lights just cast a kind of one watt glow across the entire across the entire area and I do exactly the same thing out the back of the rack which I'm not going to pull out because I haven't got quite a long enough headphone cable but it's actually the LED lights actually pass around the back of the rack as well and light the whole thing up so you can just pull it forward and everything is lit up for you to kind of take a look at when you're wanting to do that so I would never have done that with kind of filament bulbs before but now you can get like 400 LED lights for a tenner it's it's what I would recommend it if you have a studio in place there's a lot to be said for having a line of Christmas lights. I like how you have this failsafe so that you can look behind your installation with ease, even though you also recommend having the patch base so that you shouldn't really need to have to. Yes, that, that's very true. So, so the next photo down, I have um, I use an 828 Mark II. Um, why a Mark II? Well, because I've had it forever and it's never broken and it still works fine. Um, I'm a big believer in, well, fancy new hardware is really nice. I'm a big believer in what worked for the last two years will probably work tomorrow, so hence. I've done that, and the, the 828 is absolutely brilliant for that sort of work. You're, I'm talking to you through one of its preamps right now, and listening to you via its headphone, headphone out, which is fine. And um, I have that patch, I have a patch bay with that as well, which is probably the reason why the 828 is perfectly fine. And um, I have had to replace some of the patch bay channels over the, over the years, um, because the connections have broken, but obviously that's just a Five pound mail order and in comes a new patch bay and you just unscrew the old one and screw the you know unscrew the old channel out and put the new channel in so it's a very quick and easy fix. And for the I, I thought it's nice to have things that only people on the audio would hear rather than people reading the notes. But my patch bay not only does it handle all the eight to eight in and out the compressor in and out which I use for side chaining um, audio signals in on this audio feed into the hangout when we do things that require that as well but also inside there it has a Raspberry Pi which runs an AirPlay which runs AirPlay and it has an output to a set of radio headphones as well so um, sometimes if I want to what I can actually do is listen to the show audio via AirPlay and then listen to it via a pair of headphones as well so if I am um, it's not something that I've I, I do with the audio podcast but in other situations sometimes I'm producing a very very long audio show I can wander around the house while still listening to the live audio to check everything's running okay while I'm doing other things around the house sort of stuff so that's a couple of other little tricks that are inside that inside that rack which aren't apparent from the front of it which are just kind of tucked away discreetly in, in there as well and the other great feature of a um, of having a rack means that it's very easy to kind of what, what I like to call um, being able to set up physical de default connections so if the if something does happen to the Motu, then I'm I'm actually surprisingly resilient in terms of being able to still tell what's going on. So if the Motu was to turn off while I'd no longer be able to speak to you, um, if everything worked correctly, it should switch to a different a different pair of headphones will will immediately start getting the audio signal because of the way the patch bay is wired. 
why to do that. So I'm listening to you. So I guess that's one point I didn't make is I'm taking you're hearing the audio from the 828 through the FireWire connection into the Mac. But what I'm listening to is actually the, the audio out of the default output on the Mac, which then passes through the 828 and then comes into comes into my ears by the 828. So in my ears, I hear a mix of my audio signal, the audio signal I'm generating quietly panned hard right, and the audio coming from the Hangout. So I can hear a reference of what's going on to make sure I haven't got any kind of cable faults, and I can hear you guys clearly. But I'm using the default output because I found that the Hangout has a tendency to go a bit crazy sometimes with the with a FireWire interface, um, which is a bit kind of weird. What's really weird is that Skype is entirely opposite. With Skype, it works better using the built-in input and the FireWire output, which I don't really mm. understand why that is the case. But Mad. Madness. And then, and you've you've got a very special microphone um, <laughs> setup, haven't you? Well, yeah, yeah. I guess this is. Um, I I took a little photo of this as well. Um, I really wanted an angle poise micro microphone stand that I could move around and have it appear so it's it's nice and clear in the front, but my mic's just here on the corner. So I start, and this is something I picked up from somewhere, and I don't remember where it is, and I couldn't find the link to it at all anywhere. And I thought we talked about it on the audio podcast before, but I couldn't find it there either. So I think we I, did, but maybe it was a note. I seem to remember it coming up in conversation. But so, but what I'm using is a IKEA uh, tertial work lamp, and I put the link to the IKEA shop for it as well. And <clears throat> what's really cool, it's an angle poise lamp, and it, it comes as a proper lamp, but the the lamp fitting is attached to the stand by two screws, and you can undo the two screws and completely separate the two parts. So you have a working lamp and the the stand and then the two screws happen to be the exact same distance apart as the default mic adapter that you get with an SM58 so not the I'm trying to think so you have the bit that you screw onto the mic stand directly and that has sticking out of that's like has a bit that sticks out of it and then you attach the the bit that actually holds the microphone to it and that one has two holes in it uh, one of which is the adapter one of which attaches it to the mic stand, and the other one is like a. Um, not really sure what the purpose of the second hole actually is at all, in, in the in the piece of plastic. But those two screws are the exact same distance apart as the two screw holes on the IKEA that attach the lamp to the IKEA fitting. So what you could do is get two long bolts and four screw four two long screws and four bolts. It will be, and you can. Um, I've taken a photo of it, which hopefully is clear enough on the or on, on the blog post, but if it isn't, then I can take a couple more. You can actually attach you it mean, together as well. You mean four, two long bolts and four nuts? Yes, sorry. Yes, yeah. two long bolts, four nuts. That's correct, yeah. So, Stout, you can attach attach the two bits together, and that, that mic stand has worked perfectly well for probably three, probably about three years now, I guess. We were on about there. It won't take... It takes an SM58 quite happily... Um, if you go for something really big and bulky, it might start to struggle. But having said that, I've had a um, I've forgotten the name. The RE twenties were they? The microphone. Yeah, yeah, the big, the big microphones yeah. that we used to try using. RE twenties. I have had an RE twenty on it, and it was perfectly fine. So. Now, interestingly, you're just mentioning a uh, an IKEA thing there, um, and it just happening to work with your audio equipment. Now. I can tell you there's another IKEA thing which I'm going to put a link in the note in the co in a comment in your notes on the notes blah blah blah. Um, it's a bedside table. It's called a Rast. It's nine pounds, 
and it's unfinished, so that means you have to uh, polish it or uh, you know paint it or whatever. But I found this is so weird. I found that it is exactly the right width for 19-inch rack mount equipment, and it's exactly the right height. And it, it's got a little under pit, it's got the bottom level, and then it's got the main section. It's exactly the right height that if you bought two strips of, of 8U um, rack strip and cut two off each, the two fits on the bottom and the six fits in the middle. So it's amazing. I mean, it's the thing, you can actually make a little rack unit this for like 20 quid. That's amazing. Awesome. So I'm going to put a I'm going to put that link on the uh, on the notes right now. Awesome. I I was actually thinking about how cool it would be to get rid of to get my rack out of its big flight case and to um to put it in something else so that might actually be the right idea Adam. Maybe so, although um it's these aren't very deep so you know if you've got some really deep stuff like a sampler it'll stick out the uh, the back but if you've got shallow stuff works a treat. That's cool. So to finish off, just a couple, a couple of little last bits. Um, I don't use a built-in eyesight because I like to use the big screen, but I didn't want four screens. I only wanted three screens. So the Mac light sits on the floor. Um, so to for that reason, well, not quite just that reason alone, um, I use a Creative Labs uh, live uh, CamChat HD, it's called, as the webcam, which is the one that you're seeing beyond. It's a 720p webcam. But the really neat feature of it is it's completely class compliant, so it works on Windows, Mac, and Linux with no driver required. So that means it's very easy to run a... I have a, I have a backup computer I could use to stream audio, which isn't a Mac. It's a, it's a Linux box, and that can immediately start using the webcam. So, um, And also, by not being attached to the screen, you can get a kind of different position depending on what sort of position you actually want for it. So... I found that to be really, really useful. And finally, for the times when we're, I'm not at home or I'm elsewhere in a mo mobile setting, then I actually have a Mark III Moto Ultralight, which I tend to, which I would use rather than taking the rack with me. A lot of people have said, why do you use? A lot of people have queried in the past why I even use the Mark II 828 and why I even use the big physical rack. Um, I guess the main reason is actually because of the patch bay. As as ridiculous as it sounds, but um, I, I, don't, I presume most people know that patch bays can be normalized or half normalized and you can set them up as a mix of normalizations and as a consequence you can do lots of there's lots of really neat tricks you can have with patch bays like have them wired for your default but then very quickly be able to do alternative setups just by plugging two jack, a jack cable in the very front of it or something like that and it's it's so much easier to just patch a patch bay at the front than it is to reach around the back of something and try and plug it in and the minute you've got two or three things and you're trying to plug them into each other, it becomes such a mess of cables and so hard. So th that's that's really the reason why I have these two setups, but I prefer to use the 828 in gen the Mark II 828 in general day-to-day -day work rather than the Mark III Ultralight, which I use for mobile stuff, but generally doesn't see as much use as the 828 Mark II does. There you go. Cool. Excellent. So I think we can, so, yeah. uh, we can call the other section over. You can uh, next week. I think we'll do Sam. Yeah. I'll, yep. We'll do your setup. That'd be cool. And um, and then two weeks time we can go through my setup. Hey, that's quite yeah. tasty, isn't it? And so if, if you have any criticism, if you have any criticism or comments or questions, then you could just tweet me um, at Scott Hewitt. <laughs> so, we can tweet you and say, I think your setup is terrible and I'm going to criticise it to the end. 
Yeah, if you want to, I'll just ignore you. It's fine. <laughs> well, yeah, you're good at, at ignoring me. But are you good at ignoring the plunder? Plunder. Okay. Um, yep, the plunder is where the show title this week has come from. And one aspect of that is the word calm, which refers to the Commercial Advertisement Loudness Mitigation Act of 2010. We've mentioned this before when it came into force, and there's an article from Dolby talking about solutions for working with that. Uh, I.e. Dolby's solutions to yeah. working with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, though it is, it is reasonably, it is like reasonably balanced. It isn't just an infomercial. It is, it's worth a read. Let's put it that way. But it's and very it's towards a good end. It's, it's towards a good end because it's very irritating when you have to change volumes on stuff just because you've got to the adverts and the adverts are much louder. So, yes. And for those people who follow, who who've come to the audio podcast during the week, could well follow our follow the site as well as the audio podcast, will have noticed a tip of a exclusive and exciting eBay product that was recently available for sale. Alas, however, by the time we record the show, the sale has been completed. Sam, did you say how much it had gone for? Um, I can check again, but I think it, it was, was around £40. £40. £40. £40. £40. £40.50. Yes, And what is it? That's the important thing. Well, it was a base bin with wheels, a handle, and a lid. So this is a wheelie bin, which has been retrofitted with car batteries, an amplifier, an audio in and a large sub and two mid speakers all built into it so it can freely wander around blasting out whatever audio you wish. It's a good idea I think. Yeah. The uh, the eBay posters written in very large Comic Sans with reduced font. line spacing. <laughs> so yes and, and they seem to have trouble with spaces so they're putting the spaces before the commas and not afterwards. <laughs> Uh, and putting spaces in between I and pod and I and pad, but uh, well, whatever. Um, it'll we'll, we'll have to see. Oh, there's another one here. Oh, okay. So there's another one. Let's just load that up. Maybe, maybe it's the same to... one. Maybe the buyer didn't want it. I oh, know. Well, maybe, but maybe this guy's manufacturing these. So this one, you've got three and five hours. Uh, and at the moment, it is a, a starting bid of 99p, but without a reserve price, and a buy it now price of 100 pounds. And interestingly, it is that these guys are based in Wiltshire, not far from me, in Pusey. So uh, I'm not going to bid on your on anyone's behalf here. I'm just going to say, go on, Adam, go for it, go for it, go for it. 50. But if you guys, if, if anyone here is based in the Wiltshire stroke Somerset stroke Hampshire area. You know, you can go and pick this up and, you know, everyone will love you. You'll be the talk of the town. Indeed. <laughs> there we go. And with that, we've made it to the end of the audio podcast. Hooray! Yay! There we go. So that was show 118. How cool. I thought that was a fun show. I, I enjoyed it. The audio podcast, show 118, This Been Calms. Don't forget, if you enjoy the show and you want to get it as quickly as possible, subscribe to us. The YouTube feed appears first. The iTunes feed appears. I, the audio feeds appear shortly afterwards. So stuff like that. So you can also find the news on the show show site all week as well if you want to. So Ooh. that can be interesting as well. If you have any complaints regarding the audio podcast, feel free to email them to anybody you wish. Um, <laughs> if you'd like to get in contact with us, though, 
feel free to uh, uh, tweet at the audio podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Google Plus, and we we do. You can email us at show at the audio podcast as well. Yeah, at doctor.uk. Oh, that's good. That's good how job. email addresses work. <laughs> that's indeed how they work. Yes, good, good observation. <laughs> there we go. So with that, I bring this uh, the 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 meeting of the audio podcast crew for show one one eight to a conclusion. Woohoo! How about that? Just Hey, um, I ha- I have been Scott here, and I there we go. I will see you next week. I am Samuel Freeman. I'll be here next week also. And Adam Yanch is also signing off. In the future, people. In the future. Bye. And that was the audio podcast. One one eight. <laughs>